If one person hears this and they're having a hard time in grad school and they get a piece of information or something that helps them get through that, totally worth it. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. In today's show, we try to explain why the heck we're making a podcast in the first place. Stay with us. Welcome back, and thanks for joining us as we peel back the layers on the science and research world. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll do our best to explore the human side of science. Dan, how are you doing this week? I'm feeling very well. Thank you. What's new in your world? Um, we have an a exciting beer this week. What is our beer the this e- week? The ethanol. We have Top of the Hill. Top of the Hill. That is a local brew to us here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Very local. And one of the earlier brew pubs, I think, that popped up in the area before it was cool. That's right. That's right. Top of the Hill was around before we got here, which was quite a while ago now. My goodness, things were around then. It was, <laughs> most, it was mostly dinosaurs and top of the hill. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So what are we drinking? This is the Blue Ridge Blueberry Wheat. Blueberry Wheat. And the signature drink, the, the signature of this drink is a few floating blueberries in the beer. This is a summertime favorite. Floating, dropped in. I, I should correct that because they do sink. Yeah, I'm observing the blueberry is not floating, but there is a blueberry in my glass. So you go ahead and sample. I like this beer. It it actually does have a blueberry flavor, um, and I like the wheat beer. But I have to say I hate having fruit floating or sinking in my beer. I didn't know that about you. I've known you a long time, but I didn't know that was... Now, I've seen you have a wheat beer with an orange slice before. Yeah, stuck to the side, not a problem. But the trouble I have is you're trying to get those blueberries out of the bottom in that last drink, and you've got to like unhinge your jaw... Because the volume of liquid flowing in to try and get those people, <laughs> I always spill it. That's that's true. Uh, I have to admit, I'm the opposite of you. I really like fruit in my beverage. I have seen you go back to the bar because they didn't give you enough fruit. I'm that guy who has gotten the mixed drink and goes back asking for more fruit. I'm but, not ashamed. But how do you handle the the blueberries barreling at you from the bottom and then the, the liquid's just... It's it's a nightmare. It's just a surprise with every every drink. First world problems. I can't <laughs> I, handle it. I guess so. But you know, one thing I've noticed: this is a very blueberry uh, flavored beer. The blueberry flavor very prominent. I actually I like fruit so much. You would not understand this, but um, I like to drink a lot of water these days, and I actually will put fruit in my water to try to infuse the water with the the fruit uh, fruit it's flavoring. So paleo. I guess, I, I guess it's it something, it's yeah. something. Uh, but I often find that the the berries look really amazing in the water, but I don't find that I get that berry flavor. So I'm really interested how, if this is real blueberry flavor in here, or this is some chemical that instills blueberry-esque flavor that my taste buds really interpret as blueberry. We ought to find out because you'd imagine if they crushed up blueberries, there would be enough anthocyanins floating around, it would turn the thing purple yeah i guess so i guess so like if i have uh blueberry did you ever have like the the double bubble the blueberry flavored candies or or oh, you put it into blue a flavor blue flavor 
Yeah. Uh, this has blue flavor, it, but in a good but it way. Is not, it is not blue colored, so that's interesting. There's probably a scientific research article we could write on this. But I think it's quite delicious and quite it's refreshing. It's very refreshing, nice, nice summertime beer. The taste of summer here in and, North Carolina. And do you want to explain why we're drinking Top of the Hill beer? It was not easy to obtain. It was not. So Top of the Hill actually does not can or bottle any of their beers. So I actually had to venture to Top of the Hill uh, and pick up a growler for this week's episode. Now, how much is a growler? A growler is 64 ounces. Is that, is that like a pint? <laughs> I believe that is more than Go a pint. Go listen to episode one if, if you'd like to hear that joke. That's right. That's right. Uh, 64 ounces of beer. So I apologize if we get a little loopy by the end. We're plowing through it as fast as we can. I think we're going to have a hard time finishing 64 ounces unless we get a lifeguard. So, so, so the reason we're having Top of the Hill beer, we were very, very adamant about the fact it had to be Top of the Hill beer for this episode. And the reason is what we've decided to do uh, this is episode four, and so hopefully you've gotten a feel for um, the podcast so far. But what we want to do is just take a step back and really talk about why we wanted to do this podcast in the first place. What was our thinking and our motivation behind Hello PhD? The shorter answer is it's a great way to tell our wives that we are working. I'm doing air quotes. Oh, <laughs> uh, we just come and drink beer. That, that's a good point. That's a good point. And really, uh, and this will take it back to the top of the hill, uh, connection. Really, all we're doing with this podcast is continuing to do something that Dan and I have done for a long time, ever since we were first-year graduate students. Actually, before, before yeah. we were first-year graduate students. I met I met Daniel during my interview uh, at UNC Chapel Hill for graduate school. They were the, it was the heady 2002 era. They were... <laughs> it was, I believe it was March of 2002, and right. we were on our graduate school interview. And so at this is UNC. the normal thing: you you apply to graduate schools, and in the spring, you travel around and visit them. They invite you, and they fly you, and usually they treat you the best that you will be treated over the next five or six it or whatever is, years. It is a sweet deal. I think back very fondly on graduate school interviews: free food, free drink, free entertainment, lots of meeting cool and interesting people, and talking about science. It's really a great, it's a great experience. So we had both applied to the interdisciplinary program, and it was a, a pretty young program then, but it was um, something that I think is more common now, where it's an umbrella system, and you can rotate in labs in 15 different departments and choose. I had just come off an interview at Wash U, and I know you had been several places. Yeah, I had just been right down the street at Duke University just a couple weeks before. I won't boo them. <laughs> we are friends. Hold back. Yep, Not on exactly the basketball right. court, but everywhere else everywhere we are else friends. Actually, you know, I had a, a faculty member from Duke on my thesis committee. Did you know that? Very open of you. It is. It is. I've always very been tolerant. a very progressive individual. Uh, but the reason, again, why we wanted to top of the hill was on that grad school interview, I think for both of us, it was our final interview of the season. We had been to this, a few other places, and we were starting to have the discussion about what we had seen over the last few weeks and that making that decision about where to, to go for graduate school. And so as part of our recruitment weekend, we were taken to top of the hill. They give you the credit card. And and it's late, you know. You have, we'd been through interviews and tours of the campus, and you're exhausted because you've been on all of these flights and trips to other places in the previous weekends, and everybody kind of collapses because now you, you're not on show anymore. You don't have to be interviewing. It's just you and some other grad students and the other interviewees, and we started talking. And the question that came up is, I mean, in your mind, I think the the really 
critical piece was Duke or UNC. Yeah, I was I was between the two schools, and you know we've talked about you know in different contexts you have to think about things that are important to you. And from a location standpoint, I liked Central North Carolina quite a bit. I wasn't very familiar with it before, but it's a toss up there because they're essentially in the same place. Um, But I was just trying to decide between these very nuanced differences between the two two schools, and we had an evening conversation over beers. That's right. And uh, and so this is where the ethanol comes in. We're not just here to to have fun. I mean, it is it is really part of the culture, I think, of science and, and part of having these conversations. It seems to be a common theme. It's true. And so a lot of these a lot of the discussions we had um, throughout graduate school we found occurred over beers, whether we were talking about in the beginning, where should we go to graduate school in the first place and what are the considerations that we should think about. Which labs should we rotate in? Which labs should we rotate what in? What classes should you take? How are you going to get through your prelims? Um, who's dating whom and <laughs> and who should be dating whom? That's right. Issues with, with mentors, yeah. issues with other students, with postdocs. So we've been having these conversations for more than 10 years and I think been through a lot and, and observed a lot and continue to see a lot. And so it seems like there's a, a big need here, and, and I think you're with me on this, Josh. We're having these conversations, but we're also hearing from people we work with and other scientists we know. They're having the same conversations, and they're facing these dilemmas with the fresh anxiety and the, the fresh uncertainty that we faced. Um, and so what can we do to make that better? Absolutely. And in, in my job now, I work a lot with trainees with students, whether they're undergraduates or um, post-baccalaureates or graduate students or postdocs. And the thing that I've realized over the last few years is that students today are having the exact same conversations and experiencing the same stress that we went through as graduate students several years ago. And so one of the motivating factors that we had with this podcast was wanting to provide a venue for these conversations to be uh, to be had out loud, because I think one of the things that can happen, um, one of the things that we face is graduate school and the research world can be a really stressful time. There's a lot of very specific... Is that okay to say that it, it it's hard, but it's not hard for the reasons that you expect it to be hard? Yeah, I'm going to say that out loud. <gasps> graduate school is hard. It's really difficult. There are lots of challenges. And 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 I think I expected it to be hard. I expected the classes to be difficult, or I expected uh, the process of, of doing research or of learning science, the scientific process, to be difficult. But what I didn't predict is all of the other things that go on, the, the unknowable uh, events in science, uh, making the choices between these really impossible decisions because you don't have complete information. The interpersonal difficulties... You are so working so closely with mm-hmm. so many intelligent but very quirky people that you can get into trouble quickly, and you may not have the skill set to get out of it. Absolutely, and and one of the things that you know I've, be, I've began to see as maybe some of this comes with time and and perspective is we all are struggling. Everyone who's gone through the process or is going through the process, no matter what level you find yourself at, whether you're an undergrad, a grad school, even a faculty member, everybody's having certain struggles and realizing that a lot of us are having the same struggles. 
And so what's important is that we can admit that out loud yep, very and we helpful. can actually have those conversations and seek out that um, camaraderie with one another to realize, okay, it's not just me. It's not just me that's having these challenges. Science is challenging in this way. Uh, that's not a unique thing to me. It's not a shortcoming of anything I'm doing. It's just the nature of the beast. It's just how science is. And so one of the things we wanted to do was just really talk openly and honestly about some of the the things that are great about the research culture and some of the things that are challenging. There are a lot of podcasts, a lot of um, journals and and books and shows about scientific achievements, about scientific findings, and that's not what we're all about. Uh, we may reference some of those things, uh, but one of the things we wanted to look at is what we said at the top of the show. This is the, the human side of science. So many of us, we find ourselves in swimming in this certain ocean of scientific research that I've found to be a super unique and interesting place. And weird. And very weird in certain specific ways. And so our hope for this podcast is it's a place where we can look at that part of science. Let's really just have a conversation about uh, this environment that we are all operating in. And it is a conversation. It's a conversation uh, between us, but but it doesn't work if we're sitting here talking to each other. We've done that for 10 years, and I think... We've helped each other and we've helped our friends um, make it through some tough times, but it only works if the science community also joins the conversation um, by participating in in the social media that we've got set up. But also, you know, we want to hear your stories. We would love to bring you on the podcast and and talk to you live so that other people can hear your story. I promise you, whatever you are doing, somebody else is also experiencing that. And so by sharing it, you're allowing them to get through it, to feel that they're not alone in it, that they've got support, and that there's hope at the end of the tunnel, whatever they're facing. Um, yeah, they or maybe, you know, to think about something in a different way that they had not thought about it before. That's right. You shouldn't have to reinvent the wheel every time somebody goes into grad school. One thing I like about having these conversations with, with Dan is that he and I approach have approached science and training in our careers in a very different way. I think we we come at this from a very different perspective. What do you mean? I thought we did everything exactly the same way. <laughs> I'm the optimist, and Dan is... Sarcastic. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, you know, one thing that I think is, is refreshing about Dan is, um, you know, Dan, actually from... He was one of the first people I knew in graduate school that, that kind of questioned his career path. And so I actually remember in grad school, we had what he deemed a quarter-life crisis support group. Yeah, I had a very serious quarter-life crisis. And I was glad to get it out of the way. I thought that that was probably a good idea. But but grad school was fairly miserable for me. Um, it's, all, it's all been better since then. Um, but it was a really, really tough time for me. And I did. I formed this quarter-life crisis support group. And it was just me probably complaining at a bar. And Yeah, I think people. we called it support group. But really, we just supported. all showed up to make Dan feel better about supported himself. Supported me. That's what counts. <laughs> that's right. And we drank beer. Yeah, I felt better. That's that's what mattered to me. So, so Dan, why why are you doing this? What's important to you about doing this? Um, for me, it was a very, very hard time. And it was a hard time because it seemed almost unending to me. So I had made this decision to go to grad school and I wanted to do it for such a long time. But when I got there, it didn't turn out to be what I thought it would be. And so I found myself in this program where my options were either, you know, leaving without 
a credential that I, I had worked a long time to achieve or staying and being miserable for an unknown amount of time. That was, that was so difficult, the uncertainty for me. Um, and so I made it through and, and I'm out and I have the degree and I quickly um, moved on to doing what I consider my life's work, the thing that I love to do. Um, and, and what I want to be here for is to be able to cast my eye on, on what it was. And because I'm not part of it directly anymore, I can say when things don't work and I don't have a, you know, I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to risk. Um, so I can be that voice. And, and I can also be the voice that says, look, it gets better. So whatever you're going through, it gets better. And, and there are things you can do to make it better. And so it's important to me if one person hears this and they're having a hard time in grad school and they get a piece of information or something that helps them get through that, totally worth it. Oh, that's really great. And that's an important perspective to have. So what are you doing here? It could just be me. Um, I know how to run the soundboard and turn that's the computer on and things like that. Vaguely useful. <laughs> uh, I think I approach it from a, a little bit different perspective. So I'm still on the inside. I still work in academia uh, very closely with science trainees. And a lot of my job uh, is to work with students whose goal it is, is to go on and research. In some ways, I guess I'm still... Um, an evangelizer for science, right? Um, and so, you know, I think at this point, I've gained a lot of perspective and knowledge about the science career path. I work a lot with students uh, thinking about careers. Uh, but one of the things that's become very important to me is that science, this science community, the science environment, is as inclusive a place as it can be. And one of the things that I've come to see is that science is really for a lot of people. And science is a very interesting place. It's a place where you can experience extreme personal growth, intellectual growth. Um, you can just learn a lot. You meet a lot of interesting people. But it hasn't always been equally open to everyone. And so one of the things that I've really become passionate about is making science a better place. And so one that sort of folds into why we want to do this and some of the things we want to talk about here. Because as Dan, you were talking about, you know, your ability from the outside to have this perspective to look back into the research world and say, these are some things that didn't work. These are some things that actually aren't the best for people who are going through the, the science training process. Yeah, I will ask some hard questions because I, I'm not trying to achieve some of those ends. Yeah, and I am. And, you know, I'm on the inside wanting to work to actually try to change some of these things and make science a more open place, but also make science a better place for the people who are, are inside actually doing it. Yeah, and, and please don't make the mistake that I don't love and value science. I think the more time I spend in the business world, the more I love and value science and the way that scientists think. Um, I, there is so much opportunity for... Um, science to be part of the world and not just part of PhD programs. And so I think that's a that's something that we all can contribute to every day as scientists is is to kind of educate people in the way of thinking about science and, and in terms of making decisions. And so um, getting science out of the PhD program is, is a great end to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think another piece is, you know, I saw... I've seen time and time again as I've gone through my own training 
individuals who came into the process really in love with science, who had a very sincere passion for science and research. And then due to certain aspects of whether it's traditions of how the science culture operates or just certain idiosyncrasies about scientific training or graduate training or uh, the postdoc lifestyle, people would leave science, not necessarily because... Or a mean PI. Or a mean PI, right? We've talked to plenty of people like that. Uh, maybe an interpersonal mm-hmm. issue um, that wasn't resolved in, in the best way. And what that would lead to and what I'd see time and time again are people who followed a very sincere passion into science leave science for a reason other than the fact that they didn't have a passion for science anymore, but what they didn't like was a certain, um, I guess, a certain component of the training environment. Yeah, there there are broken pieces of the training process, and there are amazing traditions in the in the training process. And can we separate those two things? Can we shine a light on the broken parts and get them changed? I think having this conversation in a in a podcast in a public format, having people who are doing science every day contribute to that conversation. You know, the people that we are talking with and talking about today will have postdocs and will become PIs and faculty members, and they will have the opportunity to change that process. Um, By participating in that conversation, they might make a better training process. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's very important. And, and also, can we find ways to, I guess, encourage each other as we go through the process? Um, You know, and I think one key way we can do that is ways to encourage people who maybe want to pursue science as a career in different ways than have traditionally um, been done. I think that's that's a a great point. Um, I know we have mutual friends who are better scientists than I will ever be that did not get PhDs. And the reason is not because they weren't great scientists. The reason is all of these other things. And so, um, you know, what does it mean to have a PhD? I think when I got a PhD, I, I, I went into the program because that is what people who get good grades and like biology do. They get PhDs in biology. I hadn't thought a lot about what does that mean for my career? Does that, does that open up my opportunities? Does it limit them? And it, my, my PhD has been great. I think people recognize uh, what that means in terms of my training and, and the commitment I made to, to getting it. But I remember applying for an industry job and going to a career fair, and uh, I was excited about the job. It was a biomanufacturing job, and the woman said to me, we don't hire people like you. And I said, mm. what does that mean, people like me? And she said, <laughs> PhDs. You'll get bored. You won't want to do it. But, but at the time, that's what I wanted to do. Um, so, you know, it, it, it can cut both ways. And the goal will be to help people get the, on the right path to do the thing that they want to do. Absolutely. And I think, you know, if there is a goal, if there's an, something to shoot for, um, I think one of the things could be that students leaving graduate school not only have really gained a strong foundation in what it means to be a scientist and how to be a scientist, but also that that time has been a really fruitful period of exploration to figure out how they want to apply that knowledge of how to think scientifically to a career that lines up with their own specific 
interests and skill set. Yeah, I think that's great. So you will hear much, much more about this. I mean, we're we're kind of outlining some of the goals that we have. We know you have goals. And these will expand and change as we embark on this podcast with you. So do stay tuned. Um, send us your questions. Uh, post on the Facebook page. Tweet to us at HelloPhD. Yeah, and we really mean it. We want this to be a conversation. Uh, we want this to be a resource for uh, everyone out there in the scientific world who who's going through this crazy uh, science environment. And so uh, certainly do email us questions or thoughts. And also we understand that some of these issues are, are really sensitive too. So um, if it's something that you want to talk about, you want to have discussed, but you don't want your name attached to it, that is totally okay too. Just uh, let us know that. Or if this sounds like a terrible idea, don't write to us. <laughs> don't tweet to us. We will still have the conversation. We'll still drink the beer. We just won't record it. That's right. That's right. Should we do the word of the week, the etymology? Yeah. What do you have for us this week, Dan? Since we were talking about the DNA of our podcast episode and why we're doing this, oh. the word I picked is chromosome. Chromosome. Very fundamental word. Yeah. Source of life and lots of things. Chromosome. Let me think through that. See if you can pick out some of the parts. Let's see. Chromo. That reminds me of color. You got it. You got the first part. Some. Some color. Some color. I think it's... (laughs) I nailed it. You nailed nailed it. it. First try. Not even a challenge. Uh, You got the first part totally right. So, So chromo is color, and you'll see that all over science. Um, Some is one that you're going to see all over science as well, and it means body. So it basically means color body. Coined in 1888 or 1889 um, by a German anatomist, and I love to try and say German names even though I'm going to butcher it, but I'll I'll give him credit. Wilhelm von Waldeurhartz, I don't know how to say his name, died in 1921. Um, But color body because chromosomes absorb certain basic dyes. And so I picture this guy lysing some cells, probably didn't know a lot about them, but put on some dye, showed up in color, hmm, color body. Hmm. Those are chromosomes. Chromosomes. Eighteen eighty. I mean, 1888 was not that long ago to be discovering and naming chromosomes. Yeah, think about where we are now. Now we've got genetic engineering and a lot of other activities, but it comes from the fact that they happen to absorb dye. Now, had they not absorbed dye, they'd be called something else. Fascinating. Thanks for that. My pleasure. Well, that is all we have for this week. We would like to thank everybody for tuning in again and listening. This is the Hello PhD podcast. And please send us your questions, your comments. Email us, podcast at hellophd.com. You can tweet at us at hellophd or check out our new Facebook page. We'd love to hear your comments and we'll talk about you on the show. Also, you can visit our website and leave a comment in the comment thread if you have any comments or suggestions on this episode. We'll see you next week. See you next week. The music for the show is performed by the Doug Largent Trio. Check them out at douglargent.com.